0: Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at That's Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte.
1: This week on Catch and Shoot 2.0, the real playoffs have begun. And while the Lakers survive their play-in contest against the Warriors, what do we expect from them against Phoenix and perhaps beyond? We'll check in on LeBron and company with someone who covers them on the daily. But first, Darlene, let's get to it. Catch and Shoot 2.0 is a presentation of Pure Hoops Media. Catch and Shoot 2.0 goes well with both red and white and is perfect with the workout of your choice. Our hosts are Aaron Berlin, a former Kansas Jayhawk who believes the Orlando Magic will win the championship. Eventually. (laughs) His partner is Otto Strong, a man who has covered the NBA since before Dennis Rodman got his first tattoo. Fellas. Welcome to Catch and Shoot 2.0. I am Aaron Berlin, along with my partner, Otto Strong. Otto, it feels so good to be back, my man, and talking a little playoff basketball.
2: It is so exciting. So you ever play that game with friends, uh, that, you know, that game, like how many, you know, uh, name this tune, I could do it in three notes, I could do it in two notes, you know, two notes, whatever. No, when you're, no. when you've never, this oh, come this, on.
1: Well, um, this, this, I mean, not, not to say anything about your age, Otto, might have been, you know, an old timer thing.
2: Okay. Well, look, uh, us 50 <laughs> year olds had a great weekend. Uh, we'll get to Phil Nicholson later. Uh, but, but 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 where I want to go with this is is here. When you hear, and when you grew up in New York and you hear dun dun, it's like you don't have to say anything. Everybody knows that's like that's that's the theme song to Knicks playoff basketball. And we heard that and that was back. That was back in a huge way. So I like I I it was great, it was awesome.
1: So, so here, here's the thing, Knicks lose their opener against a trade dominated performance. Well, really in the last few minutes, but you know, he was fantastic throughout the course of the game. But before we cover and get into that game real deep, what did it feel like just to have Knicks play off basketball back on your television?
2: It was amazing. I mean, it, it felt like, I mean, on the one hand, it felt like, you know, took 15 years off the calendar, you know, <laughs> didn't do anything with the, with the 15 years worth of hair loss, but, but you know, it, it, did, it did feel nice. It did feel refreshing. It felt like, yeah, this is, this is the way it ought to be. And look, you know, yeah, Trey's going to do his thing and the Knicks are going to have to, you know, and their defense will have to figure it out.
1: Trey goes for 32 points, 11 to 23. He hits the big three at the end of the basketball game. But, you know, we talk about this a lot, and I've mentioned this numerous times on this show, is that, you know, the first game of any playoff series, it's it's whatever, right? You take it, you leave it. It is what it is. I think one team traditionally plays over their head, and the other one plays way below where they actually are. Uh, this is a Hawks team that played exceptionally well down the fourth quarter. Do you get the sense that maybe things are going to start to balance back out and we might see the New York squad that we got to know and love throughout the course of the season in game two?
2: Yeah, I think that I think that's certainly a possibility. But I mean, you also have to remember, yeah. You know, yes, they they Nick swept the Hawks during the season 3-0. I mean, fine. But you know, this like like if we all say, this is playoff basketball. The fouls are different. The crowd is different. Like everything is different, and you have to adjust to that. It's not just a matter of you like, yeah, hey, we we rolled on these guys 3 It's 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 just going to be one more night of the same party. Don't work that way. <laughs> so I, I'm expecting they will come correct and it, it make some adjustments. You mentioned
1: it. The, the the crowds and we had Alan Han on we had Alan Hahn on two weeks ago talking uh-huh. about you know the playoff atmosphere and uh-huh. MSG and what it's like when it's full. This is the first time these Knicks players really got to play in front of not a full capacity arena because I think there was something like 16,000 fans in attendance the other night. But yep. what did you think about having fans back in the arena and providing? An actual playoff atmosphere. You know, we're not getting digital fans anymore, Otto. We got real <laughs> Knicks fans in the garden watching playoff basketball.
2: We got we got Knicks fans. We we got we got uh cutaways to Spike Lee. We, we we have uh you know all all of the things that you're that you were you know wanting and familiar and familiar with. Look, look, it, it it's obviously awesome to, to kind of have that that NBA playoff atmosphere now, which which is the thing that Look, I mean, if you could put it in a bottle and just sprinkle it out and pour it all over the place, then yeah, yeah. But that's, that's the one thing that obviously that, that you couldn't do in the bubble. It's great to have it. I, you know, I, it'll be interesting to see how it really manifests itself, especially you know, when you start getting to the game threes and the game fours and the closeout games, um, whether the nerves are really going to be, you know, w- whether it's going to make a difference. Uh, uh, but, you know, and it's, look, seeing that, the, that Utah game, Uh, Last night, when they did not the not the 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 typical shot, but when they did the wide shot, and you see all the white jerseys going all the way up, it was great. Loved it.
1: Did did any series kind of surprise you with its first game?
2: Um, I mean, look, I'm gonna say Memphis is. I mean, like it it surprised me, but at the same time, it's not
1: the grinded out Grizz anymore, is it? No,
2: no, it's just like we're gonna punch you in the mouth, Grizz. Like they're they're not (laughs) they're not. I mean, were you, were you, were you surprised by any, by any of the game ones?
1: It, mostly the, the Grizzlies, you know. So I always judge what everybody else thinks by the Twitter mentions that you see and what's happening. <laughs> and I have never seen so many people excited about a Grizzlies team than what we saw against game one against the Jazz. I mean, so many people were talking about the job that not only Dylan Brooks did. 31.7 boards, two assists. But, you know, some of the plays that Ja had and just the overall construction of this Memphis Grizzlies team. I mean, we're going to talk about the play-in tournament later on in the show and about maybe what it means for the NBA moving forward. But that looked like a Grizzlies team where that stage wasn't too big for them. And, and it looked like a Grizzlies team that they know they're here today and they know they're going to be here next year and the year after that. And it's just going to continue to build.
2: Well, look, anytime you could you could walk around with that swagger and, and, and then can back it up. I mean, that's like, you know, that, 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 that's what it's all about. Hey, I wanted to ask you a question about, like, so I got some thoughts on this series, but I want to hear you get your thoughts on it first, Mavericks Clippers.
1: <clears throat> so we, we, we know you have a lot of thoughts here. And, you know, we've, we've talked a lot of, we, we talked to our guy, Law Murray, a few weeks ago mm-hmm. about this Clippers team. But I was really surprised about the Mavericks just coming out and kind of taking that game the way that they did. Did,
2: did you see that coming? I look, I, I thought that they had, you know, because this, all right, this is the team that beat the Clippers by 51 points, you know. However, however, it's, it's also a game that Kawhi didn't play. This game was like, you know, six months ago, which may, have well, may as well have been six years ago. So I'm not like thinking, okay, it's one of those games again. But I will say this in the fourth quarter, Luka scores. 1 point. Yeah. 1 point. And um so so so, so yeah. is that what surprised you most is oh, absolutely. that
1: they, they, they relied on other players? If, I, if you, I mean still when you look at it he goes for 31 11 to 24 from the field in 41 minutes. Yeah sure but to not have him be the the focal point of their offense in the final frame.
2: Well, look, he, he, there were there were some nice passes, and you know he people keen on him, and he was able to distribute, and other guys were able to knock down shots. And 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 they and as a team they shot fifty percent or nearly fifty for, for, percent, you know, for, for, from three, which had a lot to do with the win. But if you tell me that Luca was going to have one point in the fourth quarter, and oh by the way, uh, Porzingis was going to have like an off night as well, you're like, okay, this is a Mavericks loss, twenty points, twenty five points. There's no way you're thinking that this is a uh, what was it? A ten point? Yeah, one, yeah 10 point. Yeah, one
1: thirteen yeah. to one oh three.
2: Yeah, you're not you're not gonna say it's a ten point Mavericks win. I mean, this is this is the this is the new and improved Clippers who are gonna get the job done. Like, what the f happened, guys? <laughs> like, you know. So, um, uh, yeah, I, I, like I I think I think there's gonna be a lot of energy in that building for game two. I, you know, I think what what whatever happens in Dallas game three is gonna be nuts. Um, but yeah, I, I just think that we we are you know the, the days of you know this the this seventh seed or the eighth seed having to you know maybe they'll win a game or two that that that, that crap's gone like you forget about all that oh,
1: this, um, So yeah. so we talk about this a lot and we've mentioned it a little bit in this opening segment does this do you get the sense that this is not a one game fluke you know that this isn't a gentleman's sweep, where maybe the Mavericks come out, they win game one, and then the Clippers are like, all right, we got this, and then they reel off four straight. Where do you get the well, sense that this is going six at least?
2: Uh, it it feels like it it could easily go six because you feel like Luca is going to have a complete game. You also feel like, um, I, and I'll say this, I could I could see the Mavs winning game two and then losing the next four. I mean, like it's it's just like you just don't know from from night to night. And I'm not wise enough to to uh, put my chips down and actually <laughs> bet bet on these games.
1: All right, we're gonna spend about 20 minutes talking Lakers suns But before we get to that, what did you think of LeBron's acting on the floor? That was totally acting, right?
2: Oh, I, I look, it's it's I, I love the player, but I hate the I hate the role when he, when he when he goes down that road. I, I just uh it just turns my stomach. I just like you I like I want to think you're better than this, man. You're better than this.
1: Better than this. But you know what? We got some pretty good Lakers coverage coming up. You want to get to it? Let's do it. Joining us to give his thoughts on what's happening with the Lakers is the team's beat reporter for The Athletic and co-host of the Forum podcast. It is Jovan Buha. Yovan, welcome to the show, man.
0: Thanks for having me on. How's it going?
1: Oh, well, you know, not too bad. NBA playoffs are back. Otto and I talk about this all the time. You know, last year we were doing this show and it was like, what are we going to talk about? You know, the NBA was kind of in a spiral. They were trying to figure out the bubble situation. We're just happy to have basketball back now, man. And I'm sure the Lakers kind of wish they had... This, into the season that they had last year. Nonetheless, they kick off their playoff run with a tough loss to the Suns. What'd you see in game one?
0: Well, I, I felt this was a little different than the, the losses in, in game one's past for the Lakers, like going back to the last postseason, where I just think Phoenix is really, really good. And, you know, I, I think in, in obviously the, the, you know, the game one loss to the Blazers, that was just sort of a, a fluky Lakers didn't shoot well. Uh, Portland got really hot and then they kind of crushed them the rest of the series uh, against Houston. That was just a a situation where they had a huge matchup advantage uh, where Houston didn't have a center and um, Lakers downsized and and played 80 at the five a lot. And and Houston just couldn't um, match up with him. And and Russell Westbrook kind of got cold at at the wrong time. Uh, But with Phoenix, I mean, I just think Phoenix is really, really good. And uh, Devin Booker and uh, DeAndre Ayton were the, the two best players on the floor, which you can't often say in a game with LeBron James and Anthony Davis. Um, I felt the Phoenix really picked them apart with, with some of their their dribble handoff actions, that their screen and roll actions. Um, Lakers really didn't have any counter to those. They were successful sometimes in, in trapping and blitzing. And I think that's probably gonna be an adjustment for game two, is, is seeing anytime Devin Booker has the ball they're putting two on him and someone else go make a play. Because if you look at Phoenix, the rest of Phoenix's roster, aside from the guards, their forwards and centers are not playmakers. They're not guys that you, you, you know, if you're from on Phoenix side, like comfortable handling the ball, making plays. Like those guys are finishers. They're either shooters or, or it's like a DeAndre Ayton who's going to finish inside. So I think the Lakers are really going to try to get the ball out of Devin Booker's hands, make other guys make plays. And then on the other end of the floor, Anthony Davis has to show up. You know, Anthony Davis cannot be, five of 16 against a team that two weeks ago, he just dropped 42 points season high against Anthony Davis was drifting at times way too passive. And when he did get the ball, what was not aggressive and assertive against the the sun's smaller defenders. So to me, those are kind of the two things I'm looking at of Lakers mixing up the defensive coverages against Evan Booker
2: and then finding ways to get Anthony Davis more involved offensively. Yvonne, you, you raise an excellent point in that this is not like game one losses from, you know, past Laker teams or I guess, you know, last year's Lakers team. It just felt like with last year, you know, we're going to take a game to figure it out and then we're going to ratchet it up. I don't, I mean, obviously they're going to make adjustments, but for, for the, for the Laker nation, like what, what, what are you telling? What are you telling fans or what are you hearing from, from people in that camp? Are they, how concerned are they that this, they may not, may, may not make it out of this round. I think that there's a, there's a healthy
0: level of concern. Um, you know, I, I think, most Laker fans are kind of go the the, the two ways that most fans go where where there's the 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 group that's very optimistic and the team would have to basically be like about to lose the fourth game in the series for them to really panic and then there's a a group of Laker fans that uh, the sky is already falling and uh, you know Andre Drummond needs to be benched Anthony Davis needs to be the starting center uh, Trez should be benched Mark Gasol should be playing like Let's throw out the rotation and, and, and really mix things up. So um, I I will say like for, for myself, I I am with a healthy level of concern just because again, I don't think like there are schematic things that the Lakers can do differently, but I I just think Phoenix is really, really good. And, and, you know, again, like, I think that they have counters for whatever you're going to throw at them and and just the, the way they, their offense is set up. They have so much shooting around that base, you know, Booker Aiton or Paul Aiton pick and roll. And, you know, the, the one X factor here now that's going to kind of loom over the series is Chris Paul's health. And if he's not healthy, I do think the Lakers will, will find a way to exploit that and ultimately prevail. But if Chris can get healthy within the next game or two and kind of look more like Chris Paul, uh, I really think the Lakers are in some danger here of at least this going probably seven, At which point, you know, it just comes down to you got to win a game seven on the road in in Phoenix where they haven't had a playoff series in in 10 years. And I thought the crowd was really great last night. So, um, yeah, I mean, I I think that there's a healthy level of panic, but I want to see how the Lakers come out in game two, because, again, this team has shown the last, you know, going back to last postseason, they made several key adjustments in, in every series. Frank Vogel was okay benching JaVale McGee, benching Dwight Howard, going smaller, going bigger. Like Frank Vogel was all about who's performing well and who should be playing. We've yet to really see that from him this season, but I think next game will will really be telling of who does he trust, who does he believe in, and and who's he going to roll with in a very important game too.
1: Yeah, and so that that's a really good point that you actually just made there. Is you know a a lot of times I think in NBA series, specifically game one, you see a lot of upsets. You know, I I remember three years ago the Magic took an opening round game against the Toronto Raptors, and you're sitting there saying. How did that happen? You know, like it it just does. For some reason, it takes a while for teams to feel themselves out in the series. But these two teams played each other three different times in the regular season. And, And, you know, I just did a quick basketball reference search and you're looking at the overall numbers between Phoenix, just one and two. What were some of kind of the, you know, and this is a bad way to ask this question, but what were some of the pain points that they saw in those three games that, you know, kind of maybe you saw in game one?
0: Um, well, I, I think the, the, the biggest difference for, for me from from the, the regular season games to the, this game one was, um, I mean, I, it's hard to take away much because LeBron only played in one game and AD only played in one game and they didn't play in the same game. So you, you had one game where you just kind of throw out LeBron and AD didn't play and then the other games only one of them played. So it's hard to take away too much. But for me, the, the, the biggest advantage is I almost view this as, similar to the Lakers golden state game that they, they just had in the play-in game where Phoenix like golden state only plays one center uh, you know Phoenix plays DeAndre Ayton golden state plays Kevon Looney now of course DeAndre Ayton's a much better player than Kavon Looney but similar kind of setups where it's it's a big and a bunch of shooters and then they go off the bench with um, you know golden state will shift Draymond to, to center and, and that obviously can cause some problems but I felt that a lot of just the Lakers physical advantages were, were going to manifest in this series. And the one game LeBron played, he dropped 38 on Phoenix. And I think it was something ridiculous, like 16 to 24 shooting or something like that. AD had a monster game where I think he was um, also something around like 14 of, of 22 or something and, and had the season high 42 points. So looking at that, I was like, and, and rewatching the film and, and kind of breaking it down. Like these guys just have such physical advantages over Phoenix's front court where Jay Crowder's, 6'6", six, six, you know, like Mikhail Bridges is 6'7", and I know he's a all-defense-type defender, but those guys defending LeBron and AD, like, that is advantage LeBron and AD, and we just didn't see that in game one. So, I, you know, LeBron is dealing with ankle injury. I think he has not looked like himself physically, so that is its own kind of X factor, too, where if LeBron isn't LeBron, I don't know if the Lakers can win this series. They need LeBron to be LeBron, and he almost had a triple-double, but he was not LeBron, I mean, just looking at the film. Uh, and then, again, AD hanging out on the perimeter. And and that's where I actually do think there is something to the Lakers probably needing to downsize. And I think sometimes there's a school of thought of when you're playing a small team, go big, pound them on the glass, you know, go for the offensive rebounds points in the paint. Well, the Lakers lost the points in the paint battle and they were out rebounded and they were out rebounded on offensive rebounds. So where was this physical big advantage that the Lakers had by sticking with Anthony Davis plus another center, if anything, Anthony Davis at the five is the best lineup in the NBA. It's been the best lineup in the NBA for the past two seasons. So put AD at the five, put LeBron at the four, put three perimeter guys around them and roll with that lineup for 30 plus minutes. And I think you're going to get a great result because it worked in the regular season. It worked last postseason. It worked last regular season. It's statistically up there with as good of a lineup as you have in the NBA. So I think that's another adjustment that the Lakers can look at and say, we can't play Drummond and Trez as much. We need better spacing. We need 80 to get to his spots. Um, so I think kind of creating some of those advantages and mismatches is where LA is probably going to adjust based off what they did in the regular season. Kind of looking at at this series.
1: Why has Vogel been slow to make that adjustment?
0: It's a great question. I I wish I had an answer <laughs> for that um, because it it goes back to it really goes back to last postseason again, right? Like where he kind of comes in with the base game plan of we're going to defend you with our base defense and our base coverages. And you saw that in the pick and roll where they were dropping, they were catch hedging, they weren't really showing too high or or blitzing or doubling. Um, And and you saw some of that more in the fourth quarter where where they started to kind of panic. And then all of a sudden we're doubling Booker, but they were doubling him so far from the basket that he was able to just kind of pick them apart, find guys in the middle of the floor. So I think I'm not sure why, um, but I I think that he, he needs to adjust soon because I, I do think that there are some issues with their two center lineup and I consider AD a center. I mean, by modern standards, he's basically a center. Um, so I, I think they got to figure that out because they can't be playing in my opinion, 30 plus minutes with a traditional center on the floor. I think they got to mo- like modernize with, with more AD at the five. And if you're going to play a center, honestly, I think Marcus soul is their best center. I think Marcus soul needs more minutes. Um, you know, I, I think people focus on what he can't do versus what he can do. What he can do is shoot pass and defend better than Andre Drummond and Montrezl Harrell. And, and last time I checked, those are three really important areas of a basketball game. So um, for, for my money, Marc Gasol needs 15, 18 minutes a night. AD needs 20 plus minutes at center. And then the rest of the time, you, you split that between Drummond and Trez.
2: Definitely agree with you on on uh, on those three those three tenets of basketball. I think if we you know <laughs> if we're all that simple, right? Uh, all right. So Mark is going to be one of the guys that's going to you know in, in in your world is going to have a you know a, a, a say in game two. I, I totally agree with you. I felt like they were just like in in you know no pun intended la la land a lot of times, and they go into the 50 50 balls and all that kind of stuff. They just didn't have that fire, that passion that we're so used to seeing out of them. But who else on the Lakers would need to kind of step up and have? you know, be an X factor for them to take, for them to win game two. Uh, I think Kyle Kuzma, he had a really
0: quiet game, uh, only played 19 minutes. He, he's a guy that we, we normally see in that like 25 to 30 minute range, uh, you know, on, on most nights. Uh, I thought Dennis Schroeder, you know, he's not looked good since he's returned from the health and safety protocols. He's another guy that uh, I, I felt like the Lakers could have done a better job of attacking Chris Paul. Like The second he got his sh- his shoulder injured, um, I'm attacking him on defense. Mm. I'm putting him in screens. I'm trying to screen the shoulder. Um, and, and then it, when he's dribbling the ball, like he had several possessions where he just literally lost handle of the ball, which you never see from Chris Paul. and, and that really, to me, was the telling sign that he was not anywhere close to one hundred percent. So I, I mean, I, I don't know you know, if it's just that the, some of the I mean, Dennis has played with Chris Paul. LeBron and Chris Paul are obviously best friends. So like th- there's some good blood there rather than bad blood. But, uh, I thought, you know, I, I thought it was inter- it was telling to me that you know Chris goes down and, and both teams kind of converge around him. LeBron pulls him to the side, gives him a word of encouragement. And, and then two quarters later, Chris Paul undercuts LeBron and does not care. LeBron's writhing in pain on the ground, and that's directly from Chris Paul. like the, the Chris Paul injury was not because of LeBron. That was because he, he ran into Cam Johnson. But Chris Paul undercuts LeBron. And the funny thing that no one noticed that I, I said on my podcast last night, is that it actually happened six seconds earlier as well. So the way the sequence goes is LeBron's at the free throw line. He misses a free throw. Chris Paul tries to undercut him, but LeBron kind of avoids it. Then the Suns get the rebound. They turn the ball over. LeBron goes back the other way, gets fouled, then goes to the free throw line for the time he gets undercut. So it was actually the last free throw trip six seconds earlier Chris Ball tried to undercut him, but was unsuccessful. So he did it twice. I mean, that's like, he did it twice to to LeBron and didn't care that LeBron got injured. So I think the Lakers need some more of that. Like Phoenix, to me, as you kind of said, quicker to 50-50 balls, but they also were the more physical team. And that shouldn't be the case. The Lakers, if you're looking at it, like Phoenix is better. They're a better passing team. They're a better shooting team. Uh, they be- they have better ball handling, like they have these advantages that the Lakers can't make up. But the one thing the Lakers have is size, strength, and physicality, and they have to impose their their will in Game Two and beyond. Because if Phoenix is doing that, they're going to lose this series in like five or six games. Like the, the-, the Lakers don't have a shot if they're not going to be the more physically dominant team.
1: Do you get the sense that the Lakers are going to settle in more in game two? You you know, because I, I think about it, you said it, the Suns are a team that haven't played a playoff game in years. You look at Devin Booker, Michael Bridges, DeAndre Ayton, it's all their first playoff game. And there's a sense of urgency is not the right word, but excitement, right? Like a little bit of an adrenaline bump that you get for a game like that. Do you get the sense that maybe this series is going to settle in in game two and we're going to get a better idea of maybe how the Lakers really compete with the Suns in this playoff series?
0: Yeah. Yeah. I, I think so. Um, I, I think that w- I mean, we, we saw that in the second half of the Warriors game, w- which basically was a game seven for the Lakers, because you know, if they lost it, they, they were going to be uh, up against the ropes for, for that eight seed. Um, and, and you saw that desperation where, where Frank Vogel basically went 80, you know, played Andre Drummond a few minutes uh, in, in the third quarter and then essentially went 80 at the five the rest of the game. And I think he ended up playing 17 of his 21 minutes at center in the second half. So I think I think the Lakers know what they have to do. Um, and I was actually talking about this with someone and, and they were kind of making the counterpoint. Well, like go back a couple of years to Golden State in the death lineup where they go Draymond at center. And that was a look that they didn't trot out for 30, 35, 40 minutes a night. It was something where they'd use it maybe in second halves and fourth quarters when they really needed to crush a team, they would go to this small ball lineup with Draymond at the five. And my counter to that is Anthony Davis is seven foot, 250 pounds. Like he can play the five. He's the size of most centers in the NBA. There are smaller centers that play 30 plus minutes a night than Anthony Davis. So I don't, I don't fall. Like, I don't agree with the notion that, you know, he doesn't have a physical advantage at, at center or he's not physical, like, or the foul trouble or whatever. Like, yes, maybe they're playing Jokic and bead Rudy Gobert. You need a big body. You need Gasol out there. You need Drummond. But on most nights, if you're not playing one of those elite, elite, elite centers, and I would not put DeAndre Ayton in that category, Lakers can roll with eighty at the five against anybody, and he's going to find a way to dominate that matchup. So to me, it's—I know that there's some—I think there's some politics there. That there's some stuff where they're trying to keep Andre Drummond happy. They promised him the starting job. Montrezl Harrell obviously was a splashy offseason addition. But to me, when it comes down to it, backs against the wall, you got to win a game. It's eighty at the five. 30 plus minutes and you just got to roll with that.
2: So let's switch gears a little bit. So let's, let's say the, the wheels come off completely. Lakers don't make it out of the, don't make it out of the round. They go home. So this is, you know, this is a team, obviously everybody knows it's a championship or bus type team. What type of moves do they make in the offseason If the wheels completely come off and they don't make it out of the first round.
0: It, it, they're, they're in a tough spot because half the rotation basically is going to be for agents. Um, so you, you got, you uh, Dennis Schroeder, Alex Caruso, Talen Horton Tucker, Montres Harrell can opt out. And, and I wouldn't be surprised if he does that, depending on what his role ends up being. Um, so you know, right that right there is, is four of your top eight, nine guys and a guy in Talon who you're high on didn't end up trading, you know, including in that trade for Kyle Lowry, which I think in retrospect, I, I would take I mean, imagine imagine if the Lakers <laughs> had Kyle Lowry right now, like yeah. in, in kind of the the spot they'd be in. Um so, I mean, that might be a trade they end up regretting, depending on how the season plays out. Um, I mean, they're already up against – they're going to be up against the tax. They're not going to have any cap space, even if some of those guys walk. So, I think the, the priorities for them are going to be re-signing Alex Caruso, who I think continues to show he's in that conversation for, for third most important Laker. Like, when he, like he was huge in that Golden State game. He, he changed the game. What mm-hmm. was guarding, you know, pressing up against Steph – uh, forced some turnovers on him, some tough shots late in that game, uh, r- really made some key, had a key assist to AD for, for a dunk to give them the, the lead late. Like Alex Crusoe just makes game-winning plays uh, on a consistent basis. He's a closer for them, and, and he's really important. So I think they're going to try to keep him. I think they're going to try to keep THT. The one guy that's kind of up in the air to me is, is Dennis. Um, you know, He's someone who ha- has not been shy w- with kind of voicing his opinion to the media. Like day one, as a Laker, comes out and says, I want to be the starting point guard when that mm-hmm. had not been decided yet. The Lakers had not like they were considering going with uh, some, some of more like last year where like Dennis would be in that Rondo role and maybe they're starting West Matthews or Caruso and kind of going with the non-traditional uh, backcourt with like two off ball guards versus a, a more point, uh, traditional point guard. So Dennis has applied and then he's applied pressure talking about his contract, talking about not wanting to be traded, like different things. So I think he's a guy that bait, like, if you want the twenty-plus million that he's asking for, and that's what he's been asking for, you got to be the third guy on the team. And he has not done that consistently recently. I know he was out with the health and safety protocols, but I look at him as the guy that probably has the most riding on this postseason. Because if he's a, a dud and a disappointment as the Lakers' third guy, I don't see how you can justify bringing him back for for twenty-plus million, right? So to me, he's he's a sixteen to eighteen million dollar a guy, a year guy. I don't view him as like. 18 plus I don't love that um so I I look at Dennis and Trez as maybe the two guys who aren't back next year depending on how the playoffs go uh but yeah I mean for the Lakers they are in an interesting spot like you do still have LeBron and AD you have some of these younger role players but you you might lose some depth next season and that's why I really think they got to figure this out because you know you lose Mm -hmm. this year you don't know what next year looks like and and we don't know how much time LeBron has as crazy as that sounds and he's looking a little human, a little bit. So <laughs> a little, little bit. I, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. We'll see. But I, I, it's fascinating because you know they, they don't have a lot of money to improve. So maybe there's one guy they can find with that mid-level exception this year for nine and a half million. But I don't know if that's a guy that really swings things. So um I, this kind of is the group. And if anything, they're going to probably lose a player or two from this group. So it, um yeah.
1: Well, I was just going to say, you know, there's there's always a saying that you, you know the bill always comes due at the end of a trade, right? Like at some point you're going to feel the effects of it. Is this maybe the Lakers finally feeling the effects of that Anthony Davis trade? It was fine last year when you could kind of plug gaps really fast, but now they're missing some of their younger players and some of the players that they shipped off.
0: Yeah. I I think, I think potentially, um, you know, like I, I think. At the end of the day, they, they won a championship. And that's something that, um, you know, I, I think sometimes in the moment we, we can lose sight of that, where no matter what happens, uh, the Anthony Davis trade was a, a re- resounding, you know, emphatic success for the Lakers. They won a championship in the first year and, and yes, they were in the bubble and, and you know, people can, can kind of pick at that. I, I actually, you know, I'm more so on the, on, on the side of, I think it was harder to win a championship in the bubble and, and being in isolation for basically hundred days, and then not having fans. And we we've seen how not having fans has affected so many teams and players this season. And and I think winning under those circumstances, like, uh, you know, you can make the case. It was easier. I, I think you could also make the case. It was harder. And, I, and I'm more on that side. So I think no matter what happens, like, you know, we can look at certain things and Brandon Ingram and, and Lonzo and, and different guys, but like you, you draft those guys hoping they one day become an Anthony Davis or, or, Um, the sum of its parts can, can equal an Anthony Davis. And I don't think that's been the case. Right. So I I think, I I think the Lakers would do that trade 10 out of 10 times. I'd still rather have Anthony Davis than, um, you know, Ingram ball Hart, And and those picks, you know, we'll see five years from now, what ends up happening with AD. How how does the rest of his career play out? Do they get another star to reload around him? Uh, But I I think he already won them a championship. He was great. He was a big part of that. And I, I think, you know, that you you gotta like, so, I mean, maybe like they, they could, they could be in a better spot with some of that depth, but for, for me, I, I I still, I, you take the championship, you take the superstar player.
2: Got some Kobe questions for you. So you've obviously had the opportunity to cover um, the late grade, Mr. Bryant earlier in his career or early in your career, I should say. Um, And of course he was in the hall of fame about a week ago. So, so here are the questions. So two questions, one, do you have any stories that you want to share? And two, are they going to wear the black jerseys? Are are we in a like a black jersey uh, state right now? This is like code red. Are we there yet?
0: Yeah, I, I actually saw someone do a poll of like what's more likely to happen, and that was like one of the options. And I was like, you know, they might they might have to do that. They might have yeah. to go to to the Mamba jerseys. Yeah, um, yeah. I don't. I don't have any great Kobe stories. Like, I, I guess I would say. Um, I mean, my my favorite Staples Center moment. Because um, I've actually covered the, the Clippers predominantly throughout my, I guess now, 10 year career covering the league. Hmm. Um, so I, I definitely have more Clipper memories than, than Laker memories. Um, but I, I have been around the Lakers. I, I have, you know, covered them. I, I did cover them at, at times when Kobe was playing still. Um, so, one I would say was I, I was at the Sharman the practice and just seeing the way that he uh, just reveled in demeaning and embarrassing his teammates and knowing that uh because because back then it's kind of changed now uh but you know you used to kind of be able to see more of practices and like most teams at least the lakers and the clippers have kind of eliminated that where you rarely see scrimmaging now you you might see the last five minutes but for the most part you, you don't really see that in an average practice but this was like we got to see like 30 minutes of kobe just going at these guys um talking trash, hitting jumpers in Nick Young's face, uh, you know, calling him out and just really like, it was, he was like half putting on a show and half being serious. And and you didn't know, you didn't know which comment was serious versus like, what was, you know, what he actually felt. But um, you know, after he just torched his teammates, walks off the floor and um, you know, is yelling at Byron Scott and yelling at Mitch Kupchak and like, we need to get tougher dudes. Like these guys are soft as Charmin. And it just, that was like, quintessential kobe kind of moment um and and then i I was there for his finale and the 60 point game and i've never heard staples center that loud i wasn't there in 2009 or 2010 so i'm sure maybe in those finals games it it got to that level but um i've been to a lot of clipper games i've now you know been to some laker games with fans and uh it's just that was unlike anything you've ever heard because it was also such a a star-studded event and you had every celebrity that's like ever been to a Laker game showed up for that game and for for him to go out that way in the most Kobe way possible where he scores 60 points but then the analytics crowd is going to be well he took 50 shots and it was just the most Kobe way to go out I just loved it so those are my favorite two Kobe memories
1: Hey, at the end of the day, the only thing that matters is that he scored 60 points in his last game, right? And like, they won. Like, that's sure. all that matters. Sure. All right, before we close real quick, I have to ask you because I've been looking at your bookshelf in the back of, uh, what shoes are those? And what significance do they have?
0: Which ones? The, uh, the ones multiple. on the top
1: shelf right next to the bobblehead.
0: Uh, the red ones. Yeah, um, the red those ones. are um, uh, Air Jordan 3s. Um, so they released last year with uh, the, the All-Star game was in Chicago. Yeah. So they released a special Chicago pair uh, of the Air Jordan Three. So I'm I'm a big sneakerhead. Um, I, I I collect you know so I have a bunch of sneakers. I probably have um, like 50 plus pairs, which isn't compared to like players when they have like a thousand plus. You know I, I feel bad saying that, but um, just actually got this bookshelf uh, a, a couple weeks ago. So designed it with my girlfriend. She helped me out, and and we kind of uh, decided to, to display some sneakers. So. Uh, red's my favorite color they're kind of eye-catching as, as i'm guessing you, you kind of yeah. stood out to you so um yeah so that, that's kind of the, the significance of it
1: love it man well they look great and uh thank you so much for taking the time and joining us today man
0: i appreciate you guys so much for having me on this was fun we'll have to do it again
1: that was dope
2: oh, that was great stuff from jovan I, I i i don't know as a lakers fan if i should feel better or worse but one thing i do know the kid's killing it in the in the background department and the shoe department. I mean. Yeah.
1: Yeah. It, it, it's okay, Ada. You're just constantly reminding me that, you know, everybody knows there's a better version of themselves out there, like a better version in every way, shape, or form. And I'm pretty sure I just met it. You, you know, like better hair, better style, better swag, like cool job. Thanks, Yovan. Yeah. Thanks, Yovan, man. I, I used to take pride in the fact that the one thing I had in life was my hair. But dude, man, dude's got it all. And yeah, hey, he's got a girlfriend. How about that?
2: You should have seen like, me like, back like, in the like, 90s. Like, where do
1: those come from? Where uh, do you I don't find know. one
2: of those? <laughs> <laughs> oh, where do you find one of those? Well, um, hey, so at the top of the show, we talked about the playoffs. But we now we want to talk, spend a little time talking about the play-in. Because... Yeah. Some something happened <laughs> that wasn't supposed to happen. You want you want to talk about that?
1: Well, so you know, you know, the, the the initial thought was like you got the great game, right? Like you got LeBron and Steph fighting it out and doing to get into the playoffs, which I think is what the league wanted. It's what their television partners wanted. Mm-hmm. It's what uh, I think solidified the fact that we're going to see a play in tournament moving forward. But what the league did not want is they did not want one of their five biggest stars in the loop to not be featured in the playoffs. And instead what we got is a tremendous opening night as far as you know opening series go with what we saw from the Grizz, right? Mm-hmm. But in the you back but in the back of your mind you're like this backfired on the league in some way shape or form because you have LeBron, yeah, and he's going to do his thing in the playoffs. But now Steph Curry's sitting at home and you got Steph Curry for two nights in a play-in game where you could have, and you mentioned this, potentially had Steph for four nights in an Mm -hmm. opening round, regardless of what would have happened for the Warriors. So while it's great TV, dude, I love Jaw, and I'm excited to see it. But man, Steph's in his 30s. I want to see him. I want to see that Warriors team out there. And it was a Warriors team that was positioned to be in the playoffs. And that's what's frustrating about it because – Steph put that team on his back all year. He yeah. deserved to be in the playoffs. And, and I, and I get it. It's you, you play with the rules that are out in front of you. You know, you, you roll the ball out there and you got to play regardless. And he had two chances to get it done and couldn't get it done, but it's, it's disappointing for the league. There's no way around
2: that. It's definitely disappointing. Look, they built this model and like part of it is like, you know, you, you, you break it, you own it. And like, you know, they're going to they're gonna have, they're going to have to own it. Uh. And, and like, I don't think anybody in the world would have thought that the, the Warriors were going to, you know, somehow beat Utah and, and, you know, come out, come, you know, get a yeah. second round. Where, whereas with the Grizzlies, like, psh, uh, I can't say it would be a shock after what I saw in game one. No, no.
1: Especially with what we saw from Ja. Like, <sighs> dude throws down some nasty dunks. I love watching these from Ja. But oh, <laughs> so, so, so that's a really good point. Is this kind of, I don't want to say like the league acknowledging now that these younger stars are coming and it's about time that they take center stage, but you look at the stories from the round one games, right? Trey young, Kodontic, you know, he goes for 30 plus points, but it's quiet in the fourth quarter. Still a great playoff mm-hmm. game. for John ja Morant, you have a nuggets team. That's hungry and young, young or hungry and young, mm-hmm. you know, you have a nuggets team who's trying to get there, but it's basically a story. Of a lot of younger players that stepped up in that moment.
2: Well, look, I mean, I think one of the things that the league has always done, whether they'll, you know, it, it, I've always done well, is it's, it's it's always been a transition. You know, it was like, you know, going all all the way back. You know, even, even, uh, Bird MJ uh, uh, Mad, Bird Magic to to MJ to Kobe Rod. It, it's like, and that, and the only way you get that is by having guys kind of create the next chapter and by having jaw do what he's doing by having Luca do what it, you know, do what he's, do what it does. Uh, you don't get that. If, if you're, if you're constantly, you know, packing it up, you know, after 82 or 72. And so y- you do kind of need to have that infusion of, you know, the, the young guns and the, and the, old old guard. So. Did
1: the play in tournament give you any kind of thirst for an in-season tournament? Those, those talks seem to be renewed.
2: That's- yeah, I get, The the thing, and I I don't know how you how you feel about this, but my concern is like, and this is, I think, is one of those unwritten rules, like people talk about, you know, we joke about it, you know, playoff Rondo, or if this were April, or you know, all of that points to there's a different level of energy or exertion or or mental acuity, you know, April in a a normal year, April, May, June versus uh, January, February. Now you, you could you could say no you could say well, ah what the hell is he no that's not true if you were to play an entire eighty two game season with the intensity of the playoffs I I I, I, mean, I don't think it's possible so yeah. what I worry about is and I and I'm, like, I think that everybody who who laces them up and goes out there and plays you know they're 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 playing you know they're playing they're playing hard now are they going is LeBron gonna dive for a loose ball on January fifth yeah, probably not. Is he gonna dive on the finals of game six? Well, hell yeah. So like I don't like what what is what is this trying to achieve? Are we are we trying to break off a little slice of playoff basketball and put it in the middle of winter and then hope that nobody gets hurt? Like I I don't I don't know what's it's, it's to-
1: trying it's trying to recreate the college basketball model model, right? Like college basketball is immensely successful for the way that it starts its season because traditionally you have non-conference games or non-conference tournaments that are built around Putting some of the best teams against each other. Perfect example Champions Classic, right? You get Duke, you get Kentucky, you get Kansas, you get Michigan State. Four Hall of Fame coaches, four programs that are traditionally really good. Okay. The, the problem is, I like my NBA players healthy in the postseason, auto, right? Right. Like, right? Like, and if there's a midseason tournament or if you're trying to emulate a soccer model, uh, what's the one that they do in MLS where they play some uh, of like the North American teams? I think it's called CONCACAF. Yeah. Uh, but if LeBron gets hurt in a meaningless midseason tournament and I don't get playoff LeBron, then I have a huge problem with that.
2: Well, you're not and, the only one that has a yeah. problem with and, it. And
1: it's, and it's not even that. If you were to take the schedule and, you know, what, they did 72 games this year and you were to take a normal regular schedule and say, hey, we're going to play 76 games and we're going to leave this room for a uh, middle-of-the-season tournament where we might feature 10 teams. Or 16 teams, whatever it is. It's like, yeah, we're shortening the season that way, but we're adding more chances for our star players to get hurt, which in return is hurting our product at the time that it matters most. And when you say a vast majority of basketball injuries are not short-term injuries,
2: like yeah, yeah. We we, you know, you don't hear about you know you don't tend to hear like, well, tweak the Hammy, I'll be back like in, in two days' time. Like, no, these guys are going all out. Um, basically all the time. And, and look, uh, 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 ankle turn, you know, we, we've seen this too many times, how, how, just, how one little thing when could just knock somebody out for you know, several months, hell, even a year. Um, yep. And so I, I just, I mean, like no one's doing it with the intent of causing harm or anything like that. I just don't.
1: It's a fast paced game yeah. played by world-class athletes that are bumping into each other. Things go wrong.
2: Do you, do you feel like on some level it, it cheapens the, it would, it, I mean, not that would cheapen the finals, but on some level, it's like, you've got, you've got your tournament. Yeah. Like, that's the thing. You've got it. You've got it already. Like, why do we need another one?
1: Yeah, exactly. It's like the same thing that happens in college basketball, like teams that win their regular season, they, they don't even get the automatic bid to their tournament auto. They're the, 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 the team that wins the conference tournament gets the auto bid it's like so what's the point of playing you know in the big 12's case 18 regular season games if that team doesn't even get the damn auto win well,
2: like, you, you, get, you get a nice felt you get a nice felt banner to, to put yeah, up you know, yeah,
1: you, know? You, you get a you get a crummy glass trophy that's not even as cool as the championship one it's it's mind-numbing to me man like i'm usually all about like i think more is better yeah. In this case, like this play in tournament is nothing about the league trying to figure out the best way that it can get eyeballs on television sets in a season in which they struggled with their ratings numbers, and there's no way around that. Yeah. All right, let's go. Time to stick the landing. Hey. All right, Otto, it's time to wrap things up this week. First off, big props to Johan Buha of The Athletic for coming on and talking a little bit of Lakers action with us. And as always, a special thanks to our producer, Daniel Kramer, and to our editor, Kristen Woolley. Also, big ups to our king of content and our CCO and executive producer. His name is Bruce Bernstein. Speaking of Bruce, on this week's Mike Weiss show, our king of content joins Mike as they react to their favorite storylines from the first weekend of the playoffs. Full Court with Fisher and K has plenty of great college hoops talk each and every week. And on Thursday, Monica McNutt and King McClure have buckets, boards, and blocks. BJ Armstrong and Eric Newman have the Pure Hoops podcast on Friday. And Otto and I are back each Tuesday with Catch and Shoot 2.0.
2: Our big hope for this year is that every person on the planet gets the COVID vaccine so we could put an end to this pandemic and get back to normal, just like the scenes that we've seen at these playoff games. It's amazing. It's a lot of fun to see everybody back in trying to get back to normal. But uh, of course, we're not there yet. Got to continue to protect yourself and others by wearing a mask, washing your hands, and of course, keeping your distance. And don't forget the medical professionals and the other frontline workers who are doing their part to keep us safe. So for my partner, Aaron Berlin, I'm Otto Strong. See you next week. Captain Shoots Shoot 2.0 is a presentation of Pure Hoops Media.